You're listening to AshCast, the podcast of the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation at Harvard Kennedy School. You know, this is a new day. We've gone through Ferguson and Baltimore and New York and Baton Rouge and young people are saying, like, these are our friends. These are our communities. These are our schools that Democrats like Rahm Emanuel are closing down. You know, we, we're not going to just go and say, hey, Democrats, you know, what are you going to do for us? You need us. And so that's what we're seeing now, I believe. On Thursday, November 21st, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation, the Hutchins Center for African and African American Research, and the Harvard Kennedy School Black Student Union hosted a discussion of the results from the sixth annual Power of the Sister Vote Survey and how the priorities of Black women voters may shape key dimensions of the 2020 presidential race. It's really great to welcome you here. My name is Kim Leary, and I'm a faculty affiliate here at the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation, and I'm also an associate professor at Harvard Medical School and the School of Public Health. Our topic today is getting out the intersectional vote, what do black women voters want? And we know that this is a very timely topic given the debates last night when Senator Harris brought black women into the spotlight. So our panelists, who I will introduce in just a moment, will start by situating us within survey results that came out in September from the sixth annual Power of the Sister Vote, which is a collaboration that's co-sponsored by the Black Women's Roundtable, the Coalition on Black Civic Participation and Essence. And our panelists will address, among many topics, the priorities that black women voters have regarding the 2020 elections. So tonight, tonight, this afternoon's talk is being audio recorded and photographed for educational purposes. This event is also co-sponsored. In addition to the Ash Center, we're co-sponsored by the Hutchins Center for African and African American Research and the Harvard uh, School, uh, excuse me, Harvard Kennedy School Black Student Union. So we thank all of our sponsors and we are delighted to have all of you with us this afternoon. So without further ado, let me introduce our panelists. First, Melanie Campbell, who is the president and CEO of the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation. And she is also the convener of the Black Women's Roundtable Public Policy Network. She's a nationally recognized expert in civic engagement election reform, and coalition building. And we are actually welcoming her back to the Harvard Kennedy School Mm -hmm. as she was a resident fellow at the IOP in 2013. Welcome back, Melanie. (laughs) We came up with warmer weather for you this time around. (laughs) And to my left is Kirsten West-Savalli, who is the senior editor of News and Politics at Essence. And her writing and cultural criticism explores the intersections of race, social and criminal justice, feminism, politics, and pop culture with a particular interest that she has in dismantling narratives and exposing the structures that endanger oppressed and occupied communities. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you, hi everybody. And Dewana Thompson is a partner at Think Rubik's and the creator of Woke Vote. She has over 15 years of experience as a fierce community advocate, political strategist, 
and problem solver. She's the creator of Woke Vote, which is a program specifically designed to engage, mobilize, and turn out an unprecedented percentage of African-American millennial and faith-based voters in Alabama. She was also appointed by the Obama White House in October 2015 to serve as a senior advisor to the U.S. Small Business Administration. So please welcome Dewana. So to get us started, we know that many of you have seen and been thinking about and talking about the poll that came out in September, but others of you may not. So we thought we'd first, by just setting that, mm -hmm. setting the context. So let me ask uh, Kirsten and, and Melanie, uh, tell us about how this partnership between the Black Women's Roundtable and Essence started. Okay. And, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, for this invitation, and, and uh, it was good to see new uh, faces and uh, my good friend Miles out there um, and, and to be here. Um, so this was about five years ago. Um, we, uh, with the Black Women's Roundtable, uh, actually was during the Obama administration. Uh, we were at an event focused on Black women and women of color, and uh, I met Vanessa DeLuca, who's the former editor-in-chief of, of um, Essence Shout and uh, yes, yeah, yes, and we just started having a conversation about uh, the elections, and, and, and we were um, trying to figure out. Part of the challenge was looking for good information, quality information about uh, what Black women were thinking, what our concerns were, and not coming from a Beltway perspective, but really finding out from Black women, and what better place than Essence Magazine. And so we just started brainstorming, and so Dr. Ava Jones Weaver uh, and others, we have a, a research team of really bad sisters, right, who um, uh, are researchers and thinkers, Dr. Elsie Scott and others. Uh, one of my good friends who's at IOP, and she's around here somewhere, Natasha Brown, mm -hmm. who's also a member of the but we just said we needed to have information. We've started doing our own research as far as uh, um, not just the poll, but also an annual report we released of Black Women's Voices to really deal with issues of, of the day. So the poll was helpful as we were getting ready for what year was this? Too many elections now. Five years back with people. Right. Um, and so to be able to really have an understanding, not for research sake alone, albeit I'm here at Harvard, but it was really for us for organizing purposes so we could really, really elevate the issues. So that's kind of the backdrop of how it started. And that relationship has, has, has continued, and we use it uh, so it helps us to frame our policy agenda uh, for the Black Women's Roundtable. We, we go to Capitol Hill every year uh, to really uh, challenge folks on the Hill, but also in the states as well. Um, yeah, I you know I have written about the the survey before I got to Essence um, for other publications. So when I joined Essence a little over a year ago, like this was just right up my alley. These are really, really some involved, engaged, wonderful black women. It's really important. And let me, let me back up one second because I did want to like make a point of recognizing and acknowledging the land that we sit on mm -hmm. because I come from that tradition of black women and recognize the Massachusetts people and mm -hmm. harbors acknowledgement and complicity in slavery. So it's not without, you know, it's, it's remarkable that we're sitting here, black Absolutely. women, holding this conversation and taking up this space and helping to have this conversation with you all. So it's, that's, black women contain multitudes, and it's really important that we have these conversations. That's what Essence and Black Women's Roundtable has tried to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So before we get to the most recent findings, tell mm-hmm. us about the first survey results from mm-hmm. 2015 until 2018, because there's some really important mm-hmm. data that I think will situate the current findings in context. Um, well, you, five years ago, um, everyone remembers Obamacare, Affordable mm-hmm. Care Act. Uh, um, for the first three years, I'm just going to do a summary if that's okay, uh, we wanted uh, to, to really kind of find out, again, what were the top issues. Affordable health care was the top issue for three years straight. Right. Uh, it's also where we saw issues around justice were really, really bubbling up, economic justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just going to read off just so I won't, you know, I'm, I'm not the researcher, I'm the advocate. So I, I think it's better for me to just put it out there. So in our first study, as I mentioned, it was in 2015. Um, so we learned that 64 percent of black women uh, viewed voting as really important. Uh, one of the things about that um, is also knowing we I. I I coined the frame, black women are the secret sauce to the black vote. Uh, but we weren't um, getting the full um, value of that vote and value of that leadership. And so the, so the whole idea of pushing our power to sister vote was really about, and which is why this is named that, power to sister vote, uh, poll was to figure out how. So we knew uh, that these were voters. Uh, the readers of Essence are voters. They are super voters, super. right? So you know you're talking to people who are going to vote no matter what, right? Um, so so that was 2015. Um, and at that time, 2015, black women saw the Democratic Party as having its best interests at heart. This was 2015 with a 1% trust for the Republican Party. I have, I, it doesn't even rank now, right now. Right. I, I say this is not the Republican Party. This is, and this is Melanie's opinion. This is the current occupant of the White House. This party, and I, and I don't put the whole Republican Party in a box and say this is the Republican Party. But they have to own it because that's the title he wears. Uh, and so again, affordable ha- um, affordable health care was the top issue. Why was that? Well, because you, everyone, many of the Republicans who were running the state. Governments and parties really didn't adopt it. We That's still right. have many That's states right. that don't have have not fully um, right. um, taken on affordable um, health care, the you know the ACA in its full around Medicaid, Medicaid. So that was the first three years. Uh, Twenty sixteen um, presidential election cycle again, affordable health care still up there. Uh, still, the Democratic Party was holding it. Uh, Twenty sixteen happened. A lot shifted. One of the things that shifted. There was an 11% drop um, in black women feeling the Democratic Party had, had its interest at heart. Yeah. That was a major shift, yeah. right? Affordable health care still stayed, but then things like criminal justice reform started bubbling up. And living wage jobs was, and quality public education, all these were the top issues. Um, but it was also a divide when it came to millennial women. Um, uh, who really were seeing criminal justice reform and those things as being top justice issues for young people were like really front and center, understanding what was starting to happen, you know, the rise in hate crimes. And we already had been living through policing and, and, and the things that were ha- um, uh, happening when it comes to uh, the violence of, of the police against black people. Um, so that continued in 2017. Um, and then in 2018, and these things are all related to what's really our lived experiences. Um, so 2018, the rise in hate crimes 
and racism uh, uh, rose to the top. And by this year, when we did it, it was the number one issue, racism and hate crimes. Yeah. So we went from affordable health care, uh, and, 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 and I forgot one thing, with young people also uh, in those earlier polls, um, it was about um, uh, affordable college. college. That fell not because it's not important, but if, if, but if I'm dealing with life and death, yeah. you know, it's hard to think about paying for a student loan if, if I'm trying to make sure I can breathe and live. So that's been the, the, the real, real um, uh, concern that we know. And so the, so the issues around justice have really risen, and that's been, the, I'll just leave that as the, kind of like the big, the big buckets. Yeah. That's my colleague yeah. here wanted to add to it. I'm, you nailed it. I mean, <laughs> we have done, especially, and I wanted to make a point about police violence, is that, mm-hmm. you know, where you see state and sexual violence, you all, all, often mm-hmm. see too often the bodies of black women. Mm-hmm. So we have dealt with, you know, not only police brutality, but the fact that sexual violence yeah. is the second highest reported mm-hmm. form of police brutality that we have. And most of it is enacted against black women. We have police officers who, like Daniel Holtzclaw, who, you know, raped um, 13 black women, one black girl. Right. Um, we see this so often. We see black women, particularly black trans women, who don't get the support that they need, who aren't believed, black sex workers who don't get the support they need, who aren't believed. So when we talk about police brutality and black women, it's very important that we situate it specifically within black women's bodies, black women's pain, black women's lived situations. It's not just going out and shooting black boys. It's not just because these are our sons. It's us. So it's important. Essence always wants to put that focus on is black women, not just who we are to other people, but who we are for ourselves. That's right. Do you want to help us to to index this against progressive, uh, the progressive movement out there? What are you hearing? Where where are black women's voices represented and where are we not being heard? Well, I think um, I want to say thank you so much for the opportunity. I always think it's an incredibly important opportunity when I can sit between people who I truly believe um, the things that come out of their mouth, the work that they do, they believe this with their heart. And I think as we talk about what women, black women care about leading into 2020, they oftentimes vote for the entire community. They do everything for the entire community. And so when you think about the Progressive Party, I always say that as much as I want to, you know, you know, get excited about them, it particularly shows up in, in the southern states still with racism, with bias, with prejudice. Um, a lot of the programming still shows up with a lens that is tone deaf, with a lens that has com- completely forgot about the leadership of people who've been doing this work all on the ground for a very, very long time. And so I think that there has been a challenge in a lot of ways where we, we have to support a structure that has not always seen us, that has not always heard us, um, has not always made room for our leadership. And we're starting to see, I think, uh, as we seen over the last maybe year, uh, maybe two, starting to see um, some of those chinks in the glass as it relates to that. Um, but we're not, we haven't seen it fast enough in places like Alabama, in places like Georgia, even in places like North Carolina. And so I think that has sparked more of a localized movement of, of women leadership, particularly black women's leadership on the ground. They're saying, we'll wait till y'all get yourselves together, but we can't wait on the ground, right? And so that's what's happening. I think you're seeing that that real sort of homegrown that's been there forever saying, this is actually good enough now, and, that, and actually it's better than that, that we do it this way than wait on that traditional space. So what are the investments that need to be made, it, made in order for that pipeline to grow over the next period of time? Ooh, well, first of all, 
you know, and I, I know people have a, a, a fear around the word reparation. But when I think about reparations, I don't, <laughs> I, I'm not even thinking just about, okay, we're going to all get our 40 acres and a mule. I am thinking about the fact that there are, listen, I'm from the South. I live in Alabama. 40 acres is a lot of land. Okay? A lot of land. Um, and so I, I will welcome it with open arms. But I think that when I think about sometimes the, the term of reparations, I look at the fact that the work even that people like Melanie has done, that people like Kirsten has done, that people like Latasha have done, has been under for, uh, underfunded and under-resourced for so long. If we could just literally re go back and say, you guys have worked for $5 when other people were getting $5 million, and close that gap, we would be able to have enough resources to sustain our programming long term and not just the Sunday before Election Day. Mm -hmm. And so I think that investment, critical long term strategic investment with resource, actual dollars attached to it is going to be necessary. The second thing I think is that as we still look at the Progressive Party and look at all of the parties, the level of leadership by people of color is still at a disparaging amount, right? We're still looking at less than 20% of the supposedly progressive party are people of color who are in leadership. What does that mean when we all know that in about 10 years, this whole country is going to be a minority country, right? And so I don't understand why we're taking so long to get to uh, a system that is equitable in that way. And I think that, and so, so in, in a lot of ways, investment looks like changing the leadership landscape. And then the third thing I would say just to round it out is that we see a lot of when it comes to pipeline programming right the way in which we are brought into the pipeline is too late and it's too narrow and when I say that I say that as as a person I grew up in Birmingham Alabama was very active in the community my father's a pastor my mother was an educator and I went away I went to school in Appalachia at Berea College um, and I learned a lot there but there when I went back, I worked for the city of Birmingham. I started out as a community organizer on behalf of the city city council. And I, my job was to do engagement and tell people what was going on on behalf of the council. Um, but there was nobody there really who even had a lens around how do you actually um, organize? How do you actually um, create, build, and program, and power map, and all of that. I didn't hear about that until probably the third or fourth year of my career when I met an organization called The Gathering for Social Justice with Harry Belafonte. And so what's happening is, and through that organization, I was set up to start learning things. But our folk in the South particularly are learning about power map and how we enter into these spaces a lot later and a lot too late, right? Um, and so I think if we can open the doors um, for access into the systems that be in terms of how we build power, how we legislate for ourselves, how we organize for ourselves, root that at an earlier age, um, then that is, that is a way that we can see some definite investment. Sounds like a really important set of policy and practice yeah, recommendations. Absolutely. You know, I want to pick up on um, one of the things that Men Melanie mentioned about the differences that we're starting to see between older black women voters and millennial and Generation Z voters. And one of those differences is who they're supporting, at least at this point in the election cycle. So we see their mothers and grandmothers and aunts leaning towards Biden. And, but the younger folk, the younger women, are leaning towards <laughs> Bernie Sanders. What can you tell us about that? Well, first, I would say that our poll and our Black You Vote 
uh, young people every month are hosting these, uh, leaders are hosting these debate watch parties yeah. in, in Alabama yeah. and Florida and Georgia and Michigan, uh, um, D.C. metro area. Um, well, every age, black folks are shopping. Yeah, I agree. Black women are still shopping. I agree. The majority number were those who had not made it their mind. Yeah. And when I talked to our young folks, you know, down there with Deborah and all of them, like, last night, no, nobody won. So yeah. just from general, yes, there is a, and I was in South Plan a couple of weeks ago. Yes, black women, uh, seasoned sisters, if you will, right, um, uh, are strategic with our vote. And so folks are going to have to work for it. It's not so much that everybody's in love with Biden, right? Um, He's going to have to work for it. I don't think he did a great job last night working for it. Oh, my. Um, I'm not anybody's camp. I'm nonpartisan. I, I got friends at every camp. Me so. too. <laughs> right? So, but that's just the truth. And so the analysis that, 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 that just from last night, you know, yeah. black women are looking whatever your age, because we are across the board, whether you're talking about a Z, all these, all these letters, I'm Boom. starting to get headaches. You know, Z, Y, X, post, pre, whatever. Across the board are shopping still. Yeah. There's nobody's made up their mind. I agree. You know, I think, uh, obviously the familiar Aaron she because he was the vice president for the first African-American president, does play a role. And I'm not saying he doesn't have a good, and this is just me speaking, have, a, have some good things in his record. There's some things that are not so good. Young people, I can't speak for you. You know, you have to tell me. I have to listen to them, but you tell me what you think. And that's why they're, they're tapping in to figure out, and they're not, they haven't made up their mind. Uh, Bernie Sanders does not have young people on lockdown either, right, because there are too many choices to make, right? Uh, so that's, that's what, what we're seeing. And so I think the last poll we did for the last, not this one, because we're still crunching those numbers. I think last month's poll, Biden was still up there, even amongst millennials and Generation Z. So it's, it's kind of all over the place. But the, the common denominator, Nobody. since the debates have started, is the number still stays at no one has the, yeah. the highest number, 25, 26%. Do you want No, I, I totally agree with that. I think the other part of it is, is that as people are starting to really feel empowered about what their vote actually means again um, and, and how they can um, utilize that vote to really um, to build power for themselves, they are looking at certain things differently. I, I, even though we started our program in Birmingham, in Alabama, we're in about 18 states now. And one of the things I can say truly to Melanie's point is that the last conversation that we had with all of our fellows, we have about 600 and something fellows, and the last conversation we had with them was that they felt two things was, was critically missing. One, they still feel like everybody on that stage is lacking in some degree of authenticity around issues of blackness and black experience. Um, and it's not so much that they feel like, you know, oh, this person, you know, can't talk about black issues because they're not black. It's not, it's not like that. What they're saying is that when they start bringing up what are the solutions or what have been the issues, there's a, a, there's a lack of depth there in talking about it. And so that is ringing 
um, true to a lot of young people across the board and a lot of seasoned people across the board. And so we see that the second thing that they're saying is that people are still not showing up the way they say that they have been into these communities and to these <laughs> neighborhoods, right? What we know is that in this particular election, as Melanie has said, we do believe that people are going to have to work for the vote. People are actually making the decisions earlier than what, than, than what I think the, even the party is used to, right? They're, they're saying, if you haven't been to the state in the last six months, where have you been? And so when they're having those questions, the people who are actually showing up are the Bidens, right? The Elizabeth Warrens. You'd be surprised. Uh, in, in a place like Birmingham, Alabama, Elizabeth Warren packed out a whole stadium in two days. I was shocked uh, with black people, right? But she's been to Alabama 17 times in the last year. Right. That's a different level of engagement. And so what we're seeing is that that engagement is changing the, the dynamics of how people view the candidate in a way that we haven't seen before. Kristen? Well, I think <clears throat> a couple of things about the progressive vote <clears throat> is that younger black people, younger black women specifically, are not um, fooled by the politics of yeah. representation. You know, like we have to also have. Um, make sure we don't have a leftist all lives matter kind of movement. So even though we're focusing on, you know, wealth gap and um, class disparities, class discrimination, just because you're a black face in a high place doesn't mean you're for our community. So we see a lot of that shifting. What are your politics? What are you talking about? If I only see you when you come into our communities to go to churches, you know, and kiss black babies and then you're gone or then you're holding over our communities to the Republican Party as red meat because you don't care about Mississippi. Right. You don't care about Alabama. You know, you need these black women. I want to also lift up almost half of the country that does not vote. Listen. You know, and they don't vote not because they're privileged, not because they, they don't care about the process, but because the process has not included them, has not made right. space for them. Right. They go to the polls if they're able to after, you know, disenfranchisement. In voter suppression, if they're able to, and they still don't have their needs discussed, they still don't have their needs talked about. Black people are tired. Fannie Lou Hamer was tired when she said it. Right. But young black people are still tired. So, you know, this is a new day. We've gone through Ferguson and Baltimore and New York and Baton Rouge, and young black people are saying, like, these are our friends. Yeah. These are our communities. These are our schools that Democrats like Rahm Emanuel are closing down. Right. You know, we, we're not going to just go and say, hey, Democrats, you know, what are you going to do for us? You need us. Yeah. And so that's what we're seeing now, I believe. So in, in the, as you describe this, what could any of these candidates do with respect to that authenticity? Is there anything that someone, say, newly entering the race <laughs> <laughs> might, would you have advice for any of those well, I new mean, faces? Deval Patrick should have talked about that. No, thought about that. On, no, it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. He might have. If we're bank capital is an issue. Super PACs are an issue. They are. Um, being centrist in an increasingly progressive country is an issue. So you know, being friends with Obama and you know, being nice and being well spoken is just. What are your politics, my uh-huh. friend? You know, what are what are you saying? How can you think that you can come in at the tail end of everything, you know, have Bain Capital scrub your name what the day of your announcement and think that's going to make a difference? It's not. So, you know, it's just a different time. 
Can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> Last question before we open it up to the audience. Uh, we're talking about black women, and we have Senator Harris. What would you like to say about Senator Harris's campaign so far and the way in which she has spoken to black women as a voting bloc? I'll let Melanie, I'll let Melanie go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. I thought last night she did a much uh, better job. Um, she did have a strong night. Had, uh, strong I felt night. I, I, I had a lot of, of emotions sitting there in Atlanta where I spent 17 years of my life. So still have a lot of uh, family there and, and have a lot of roots in Atlanta. Because I felt like last night, not to, I know this is not about the debate, but I think you know, this is just fresh on my mind, is that when it came to issues around um, racial justice and issues around voting rights and um, especially... She spoke to it, and so did Cory, Senator Cory Booker, which, which, which I was glad and then irritated at the same time because they shouldn't have had to be the two black people on the stage to talk about issues that are important to black people. And we're in Atlanta, and we're in the civil in the in the, in the South. That there was a miss with whoever designed that debate to say, wouldn't this be the moment to talk about civil rights and and voting rights and social justice issues? And it, it seemed more. They forced more of the conversation, and I felt she did uh, did well with that. Um, I feel like at some point, it's okay to just fully be who you are. We keep saying that word authenticity. Yes, it's like if once if and knowing that yes, you know, I, I can sit here and I can quarterback and you know, run for president, not on my bucket list to want to do. So I can have a lot of opinion, but just having been in it as long as I have, I think for her having to. Uh, really show who she is and be and own it. Uh, I think is really important from, from from where I sit, and so that's all I'll say about that. Well, let's open it up to the audience. Well, well, no, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there is. Um, I think, and I, and I, I want to bring movement into this space yeah. mm-hmm. because so much of being a black woman is political, just in and of itself, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So. Movement, when we talk about trusting prosecutors, when you talk about Kamala for the people, the people she's referring to is the state. Okay, When she says Kamala for For the people, people. I've said this my whole career, you know, is she's talking about Kamala for the state. Black people, young black people have issues with this. America itself is a white settler colonial project. We have issues with the carceral state. We have issues with the U.S. being the number one jailer in the world. We have issues with black girls being the most on the rise for being in juvenile detention centers, yeah. mm-hmm. with our children being yeah. facing punitive issues in school, being kicked out of schools, facing police officers beating them up in schools, yeah. particularly our children where blackness and disability intersect. Right. So when you have someone who is, who is not really addressing the issues with their prosecutorial record. There are black women in California who I speak with quite frequently who have issues with that. There are people in movement spaces who want her to address these things and not say, I'm for the state. You have to be authentic. You have to be honest. And I think that's what the disconnect is that we're saying. But there are black people, Mm -hmm. black women in particular, who support her. She had a great night last night. I feel like she listened when she said, you know, what are you going to do for black women? I'm glad she brought it into the conversation. But just because you're a black woman doesn't mean, you know, all black women aren't for black women. So you have to be able to talk the talk and walk the walk at the same time. You asked what did I think about the campaign, correct, specifically? In the context of black women voters. In the context of black women voters. 
I think that any campaign that does not have a really, really smart and intentional program around black engagement that centers black women voters is missing something critically. And mm-hmm. until I see that, um, I think that that campaign needs some leadership or some guidance around that. What I think has been the, the biggest criticism of her campaign is that it seems as though engagement with black women specifically, but also with minority communities is a secondary part of her agenda, not a um, primary part of her agenda. And that could be for several reasons. Um, that could be political strategy. That could be all kinds of things. But the point is, it's showing up a certain kind of way on the ground. It's signaling a certain kind of thing on the ground. And until, you know, so it, it's hard then if you've been signaling, signaling one thing for, for weeks and weeks and then you get on the stage and you have this incredible Harriet moment, right? It's like, mm-hmm. mm, okay, I, I heard what you said there, but I'm looking then for the last seven weeks, where was that Harriet? Mm-hmm. Like, where was that activism for the last, or whatever it was for the last couple of weeks or whatever? So she's, I think, having to deal with the the question of whether or not what she's saying on this stage is really who she is and what she embodies and what she believes, mm-hmm. or is that what she, a soundbite? And I think until we can get her past that moment, she's there's there's just some disconnect there. Um, I'm not questioning her authenticity. I'm not questioning whether or not she's a sister. I'm not. I would never do that, right? I'm not here to question anyone's degree of blackness. That's crazy. What I am here to say is that when you put yourself on a public uh, platform like that. You, open, you expose yourself to people, for people to ask those kinds of questions. And when there's nothing for them to point to other than your time as a prosecutor. Yeah. Or if there's nothing for them to point to other than mm-hmm. the times where they've heard you openly talk about um, how you put Laughing. the most, you know, the most mm-hmm. people who, who di- you know, did marijuana away, but then you smoked it yourself. Like, when, you, when there's nothing for them to talk about or go back to except for those things, it's really hard to deal with her in an authentic way for a lot of young people and a lot of just people in general. And so I'm hoping that she's able to to, to marry um, or to just think through that a little bit more. Well, you know, our question was about getting out the intersectional vote and what do black women voters want. I think we've heard quite a bit uh, <laughs> and very uh, in a very lively way uh, some of what black women voters are thinking about. And, uh, yeah, can I say one yes, thing absolutely. before we open it up? I also want to... Sh- yeah, we want and we're demanding. Right. Right. It's about respecting. You want to win. I, you know, I, I say it all every day, but I'm not saying it light. Mm-hmm. I, no, I'm serious. If you want to win, we're in a different space, yeah. and we have to be. And so we're owning that yeah. power, yeah. right? So if you, if you, you, you miss it if you are progressive and, and need the black vote, and don't understand the strategic role black women play, you know, it's a new day. You know, and that's across generations as far yeah. as, you know, Agreed. and my girl Latasha here, you know, we, yes, we know we've been out here, mm-hmm. right? And, and no, no, but, you know, you got the blackest bus in America yeah. right here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's not a metaphor. Right. Black woman is leading that with the brother, right? Yeah. And so that's the that's the, that's the time we're owning it, you know, uh, where possible raising our own money, right? Um, but that's the time we're in. So the one thing that I that, and then and even with come on, not to her defense, but I'm gonna bring this to her defense. Also, 
when it comes to her and the other women, women still is, is, is not enough coverage oh, for sure. of what people are actually doing out there. That's and, for sure. and, and that's a challenge that we have sure. to keep pushing back on. As that's well. for sure. And it, Throw that out there. And also across lifting up the people who have continued to do this work, like we are in a new day. And mm-hmm. but we, we still have women who have done this for years, yeah. years. Mm-hmm. You know, we go, we can go back to Rosa Parks investigating white mm-hmm. supremacists yeah. raping mm-hmm. black women. You know, go back to Ida B. Wells investigating lynchings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Deborah Small. I'm, I'm sure some of you may be familiar mm-hmm. with her work. Yeah. Amazing work about the carceral state and addiction and how this yeah. country is addicted to the idea of punishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Asha Bandele with DPA, you know, Latasha right here, mm-hmm. you know, Susan Burton in L.A., Dion yeah. Haywood in New Orleans, Ashley Henderson, Dara Cooper talking about national food justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there are black women all over the country. And I always say, if you're saying no one is talking about this, it's because you're not listening. Right. Listen mm-hmm. to black women. We've yeah. been talking about it and we will continue to do so. Absolutely. Well, let's open this up to the audience. I think we've got a couple of mics. So please. Yeah. So I know um, I know all of these women, and I deeply, deeply respect these women. And I, and oftentimes people are um, they have their own body of work. And thank you all for lifting up sisters. But you all are also sisters that should be lifted up um, in the work that you do. So I really want to ask a question from you that <clears throat> people see black women as workers. Like we okay, like folks are good for us to be the workhorse. They ain't nobody had no problems with that, right? But really, literally being to um, um, investing, creating the space for us as thought leaders and shaping a larger, um, the whole national political dialogue beyond just this. This yeah, y'all can go talk to the black people, but we add something to the larger, um, the larger body politic. I'm interested in where you sit, right? What would be helpful in lifting up your work? What is it that you need that would honor what your contribution is? Um, how could, as we're sitting there, and I know, I know you're probably struggling because ain't nobody asked Ask you that, you that. Right? Mm-hmm. right? But I'm a black woman, so I understand. Right? So I'm just interested for you all, as, as you all are sick, because you all are all leading amazing work. Um, but what could lift up and be supportive and helpful in advancing your mission, your leadership, your voice, and your work? I can, I don't know. I will, I will say I, I don't know. I don't know. My positioning has always been as an amplifier. Yeah. Um, to, because so many amazing, I could cry just think I love y'all. So many amazing black women doing so much work all over the place. So I find that my passion is, you know, when there are people, when our young people are uprising in communities, you know, I don't mind being up to 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning, making sure we're telling the stories that CNN and NBC and ABC aren't telling. That's, I get, that's what I get from that, knowing that there's a sister who needs to travel from St. Louis because she wants to participate in an uprising in Baton Rouge and helping her get food and helping her get housing. That's what, that's all I need to be honest with you. I don't I don't know. I mean, funding is is always, always funding. Yeah. Always yes. funding. We don't we don't always. you know, <laughs> our work is not valued valued at all. Right. You know, oh, it's right. not people think it it's, it should be free on Demand. for whatever mm-hmm. that the gift is the fact that we're yeah. here, right? right? Um always that, but I really don't know. I would I have do to want to push back. Push back. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to push back a little bit because I yeah. think this is part of 
the space that yeah. we used to be in the nurtures of, of and, and people don't ask us what we need. Yeah. But you all are doing, each of you all are probably doing some project, mm -hmm. something that you want the world to know about, that you're contributing. I want to know. Yeah. I want to support you. Yeah. And there's others that may want to support you. I mm -hmm. want you to think about yeah. whatever that is. Mm -hmm. I already know you're going to amplify. So how can you be a bigger amplifier? Yeah. Is there a project or something you're working on mm -hmm. that we can be supportive? So I, I just want to push back. You all go. Let me think. Yeah. We can we can hold that and maybe mm -hmm. come back to that yeah. as we uh, see yeah. what else is on the minds of the folks who are here. Hello. Uh, my name is Dee. Um, I'm in residence as a fellow here uh, for the year, but I'm from St. Louis. Uh, and uh, during the uprising in Ferguson, thank you for uplifting a lot of that work. Uh, I led the Artivist STL, which was the arts organizing yeah. arm of what we were doing. And part of the, the challenge is that um, as, it, as it led up to local elections, yeah. some of that momentum was hard to sustain for a lot of the reasons that you all uh, mentioned. And with thinking about this upcoming presidential election next year, my, my question, I have so many questions, but like my main question is what are the calls to action to young people, to women of color that you all would see uh, for us to strategize collectively uh, in making sure that some of these voids that you've uh, highlighted can be filled and met by us, if not by anyone else? Right. Well, first yeah. of all, I think you would be leading that, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think just listening to you just that little bit of time, I think really uh, it, this is you all's moment, and I would say you all in your generation's moment, to really get, we know issues, you know, how to, how to, how to, to connect that beyond just about the tradition of just showing up, just go vote, but actually having it matter uh, in a way that goes beyond and actually come to solution. I say, I don't, I can't, it's like, uh, you know, 25 years ago, I was you, right? So this is, and, and I'm telling my, you know, all the young people that are around me, it's like, you guys got, we, uh, what my job is, as much as I can, so I, if I had to say, well, what I need is to be able to provide the resources for this generation to have the, the, the resources they need. Because 2018, they talk, keep talking about the, what, yeah, I, I was so frustrated when, and, 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 and the fact that young people voted in some places uh, 300%, I mean, just out the box. And it's just, it was like, almost like crickets. So we know you, you I think young people are going to vote. It's about how to leverage that power that you have so you can push back. And that's and so I, I don't say, the only thing I want is I want to be able to support the leadership that is take, is take this thing and run with it, right, and take it to that le next level. You know, I'm, and that's, that's what I, why I'm still in it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in it because I want to make sure yeah. young people, you know, that, that you have more of opportunity than we may have fought my generation. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a post-civil rights generation, you know. And so, I'm, and, and, and that black women get own, um, get the respect that we deserve, not just for ourselves, but also for ourselves. And be okay with that. And so, in so many cases, as a black woman, we, you know, the, the idea of being, I, I no longer, um, I say, and I'm, after I'm over 50, I say what I saw on my mind, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to say that, you know, but I'm okay with that too because you have to be uh, um, true to myself. Yeah. And so you all have a collective power that I think you have not fully grasped. I think, tell me how to help. Tell us how to help.
and that's why I, and I can talk after. But I, I think that's it. You all, you all are your leaders, and we all that are that are seasoned sisters like myself. I just want to figure out how to help, and there's a lot of us out here like that. If I could just answer that question too, um, one of the things that we are trying to really develop around as we talk about voter suppression, if you're talking about what can people tangibly be doing right now, one of the things we can do is change the leadership in these polling locations, right? Mm -hmm. That's something mm -hmm. that is kind of gone over people's heads. Yeah. We have a program and we're talking about what can we um, use support on. What we found is that when you look at um, what we call some of our largest polling locations or polling precincts for people of color that we already know are targeted heavily by voter suppression tactics, is that the leadership in those polls, almost 87% of that leadership does not reflect the, the actual um, demographics of the community that they serve. Oh. And so, but... And most people think that, oh, you know, I got to go through all of this to become this polling location, you know, director. And most times it's just literally taking a class. Right. Or it's, you know, showing up for a meeting of five people and somebody votes you in. Right. But that leadership power that that mm -hmm. polling manager has is significant. It is significant. And it is sometimes the only the, the only thing that makes a difference in voter suppression. So we have a program um, and an effort to change out at least 67 of these polling locations uh, across the south. Um, with people who look like us, who understand the the issues um, and the historic voter suppression tactics that have happened in those polling locations, and we wanted to be people like you. And so, if we can get you know in, as many of uh, uh, people as we can to actually take on the initiative of becoming those people, and a lot of those roles are being determined now, right? right. They get determined before the the, the um, primaries. And so we've been trying to push that information out um, uh, to, to get more people like us. So that's one tangible thing that if you're thinking, you know, you and you, you can be 18 years old. And, you know, and now some people are, gonna, you know, it's a fight sometimes because this is, you know, people been doing it for a long time. Miss Maddie been there for 17 years, you know, whatever. And it's OK. Maybe we support Miss Maddie because Miss Maddie may not understand every single thing that needs to happen or whatever it may be. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing that I think is critical and the reason why, you know, we started, my, my firm is called Think Rubik's. It's a social impact firm, and we specialize in engagement strategy. Because what we found is that everybody wants to do good, but they don't know how to do well. So they show up doing mm -hmm. stuff, and it's actually more harmful because they haven't really thought through the long-term effect of whatever it is they're trying to do. So what we say is, listen, we appreciate that you want to come in. We appreciate that you want to help. But why don't you hire people like me on the front end? to help you think about your strategy, to help you think about how you're going to engage this community, help you think about what your product is going to do to our community before you bring it in. So with that being said, though, um, Latasha, I think the one of the best things that somebody can do for me um, is stop delegitimizing the work that people like us do in terms of our strategic mind, right? And just because it's not the traditional model of the way things have always been done or the way that it always has, you know, been laid out, stop dismissing um, its viability and, and its um, effectiveness. And what we were able to do with WOVO and also with our work for our firm is we said, you know what, I'm tired of having to prove that I know for a fact when I knock on the door and have a conversation with people in any community, they turn out at a higher percentage than some of these traditional programs. I'm tired of having to say that. I'm tired of having to like show you way more information than any other organization. So we went to that same to some of the same spaces that they trust that data from, right? We went to the Analyst Institute, right? Mm -hmm. And so the analysts, we had them do a complete 
program analysis of every single thing that we do in our programs, our engagement strategy, the way in which we work. Not because we didn't think our, we know our work is working, right? But we needed to, to sometimes you've got to meet people where they are in, in, their, in their frame of understanding and their reference. So when the Analyst Institute published a, uh, a finding that our work was not only turning out more than 27% more than average programs on the grounds in those communities, but that the people that we're talking to are people who have not even been communicated with pretty much ever because we deal with people who have what you call the lowest propensity voting score. Mm -hmm. I even hate the term propensity mm -hmm. because that's just a, a lot, that's a, that's a man-made word uh, to, to, to keep somebody out of a, a system basically. But what we say is that most traditional programs, and you all know this, mm -hmm. and people who get the money, they get the most money to talk to people who vote at a propensity or vote at a, a percentage of 40 to 70 percent mm -hmm. because they believe that this person is valued enough that their experience as a voter is valued enough to invest in but you got zero to 40 percent of the community that you have that you have determined that it's not important enough for me to raise the resources to engage that community and so what we said is we're not going to do that we're going to start with zero and we're going to work from zero to 30 so when we're talking about we're knocking at doors that nobody has talked to mm -hmm. and they're turning out at a higher level than people from 40 to 70 percent so what does that mean that means that you have literally silenced and suppressed a whole part of a voting community mm -hmm. because you didn't believe that the dynamics and the way that we needed to engage that community was sufficient. And so when I say help us, I'm saying places like Harvard, places like Yale, all of these places where we're so excited to be at right now, legitimize the work of organizers, legitimize the work of non-traditional um, advocates and leaders who, who know how to get these things done. Good evening, my name is Erica Reeves. I'm a recent alum from the School of Public Health. And my question for you is maybe to shift a little bit from what you've been talking about. Mm -hmm. So we've talked as black women as voters at, mm -hmm. at the polls. Um, I wonder if you have any advice for a black woman as a candidate um, working at the local level, what piece of advice you might give to someone who's considering uh, running for, for any level of office, but particularly at the local level. Thank you. Um, I would say connect you with people who that's what they do which we know several folks yeah. Uh, yeah. who are investing, I think, about Stephanie yeah. um, uh, Brown-James and um, Collective Fact uh, and her, and her um, partner, um, Quentin James. Uh, they're based out of D.C., um, and they had this, this vision, and they've been really investing in, in um, candidates. Uh, so that would be one. Uh, there's others. There's some folks that have been around a while you know, some of these other groups, but I, I, that would be who I would want to connect folks with, the folks who kind of get it from a whole nother perspective, and, and they've really been doing great work for about, what, three, four years now. Years. You know, you, you have your Emily's List and, and, uh, and other, nothing against all of that, but as far as um, black, black candidates, their the candidate school, uh -huh. um, and who else is it? Is it um, higher yeah, higher heights. Yeah. Um, my advice, uh, along with that, mm -hmm. um, in terms of building your network, mm -hmm. yeah. um, I was at the Blue Institute and mm -hmm. Ashley yes. Robinson, amazing yeah. um, black woman, uh, mm -hmm. training the next wave of mm -hmm. political leadership and campaign leadership. Um, so yes, building that network network is going to be incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I think the other part is determining what your message is going to be very early on, mm -hmm. and, and 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 owning that message um, and figuring out how to how to to, to get that message out as much as possible, right? Um, 
because a lot of times you're probably going to be coming into a space where either somebody's been there forever and everybody knows them and who they've been, um, particularly if you're somewhere in the South like me. Some people have been in office for 50 years, literally. Um, so owning the narrative, own, owning your message is very, very important. Um, the other thing I would say is like really understand the value of what your volunteers bring um, to your campaign um, and not just limit them to door knockers, but help you know make a space for them to be innovative about the way in which you engage the community, the way in which you talk about policy, because they're the people who are still the voters, right? And so making a, a, a great way from getting involved. And then you got to have money, right? you got to figure out who are the people who will invest in you early. And, th you know, think about that power map of tree of, of, of resources, because um, even on a local level where it may not cost you, what, $10,000 to run, that could be a lot of money, you know, for somebody to, to run. And so it's like, what are the resources that are out there? Um, and if you think about the money part a little bit more um, intentionally and strategically on the front end, instead of getting in and then realizing you got to raise all this money, right, it changes the way in which you can be um, strong about how you run, right? And, and and own your own campaign, basically. Can I just ask you a question about that, too? So before, at a place like Harvard, at the Kennedy School, it's not uncommon for people to say, I intend to run for office. That, that's not unusual around here. Yeah. But in many other places, in many other contexts, to say something like that, to make that kind of a claim on a future, it, you know, takes a lot of courage. Yeah, absolutely. So I wonder, to those folks, especially young women, who are thinking that this is a world in which they want to participate, but they don't have this kind of infrastructure around them. What, what, what could we say? What, what might you advise? Well, I know a lot of uh, folks who ran, black, yeah, yeah, you know, thank you, <laughs> that are in part of my Black Women's Roundtable, who didn't wait on anybody to tell them to run, yeah. right? Um, so... And I'm thinking about people who I even in my in my time, um, it's really being able to 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 um, you know, circle yourself with folks who uh, really first believe yourself yeah. and believe that you can do it. I know too many people that I know who are black women who ran straight out of college. Yeah. You know, some of them you know tried even in college, but you know uh, I think about Mary Pat Hector yeah. down in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, who. Um, Right. Was in politics mm -hmm. since she was 11, 13, right? And like doing stuff with uh, you know, Reverend Charlton with um, National Action Network, ran for a seat while she was at Spelman College mm -hmm. um, as a sophomore. Uh, and really, it, did she come close or won and they did something to trick? Won. Yeah, she won and then they, yeah. you know, the, the powers that be. Mm -hmm. So, uh, who's asking that question? I kind of know. Um, yeah, back here, right? Yeah, right here, right here. Yeah, um, but yeah. So, so, so being able to um, um, decide that's what you want is the first order of business because it's still true uh, research-wise that you know it takes women what seven times to be asked. I don't know what it is for black women or or, 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 or other women of color uh, even harder because it's harder to um, even if even if you're an incumbent having the resources. Yeah. So the first thing is that that's what you want. You want to be part of that solution. Own that. And then get connected. And so we support uh, our sisters uh, through the Black Women's Roundtable who uh, were organizers, you know, who started out you know, as, as activists and organizers who are, what I say, political, still political uh, leaders, but also continue to be organizers and activists. Gotcha. And if you keep that in mind, then your people will stay with you, yeah. right? So don't see it as a shift. And I'm 
You know, you have to do some things differently. But if you stay in community, yeah. the community will stay with you. Right. Um, and so I think so. And I hope that that's, that would be my two cents. And again, to connect with with folks who have these networks so that you do have help you figure out the money part yeah. of, of running for office, right. whether you're talking local or, or, or a higher office. And look what happened in 2018. Yeah. You know, you look out there, you know. I, uh, you know, went to, in this last three years, most time I'm outside protesting as opposed to going inside. But, you know, it is what it is in D.C. right now. But I went uh, when, um, for the State of the Union. Ooh. But of all times to go this past year, but just to look out and see the stark difference. Oh, my. And I'm way up in the bleachers, you know. <laughs> you know. But you're looking out here, and you see all these white men. And then the other half of the room, black and brown and young, and uh, all the rainbow of what the United States of America really is. And so this is the moment. And, and so women came in like gangbusters, right? And so I think... I think the momentum of that and being able to change this country is going to take women and women of color, especially. And as a black woman, of course, that's my, you know, that's where my full, full self. And, uh, that's uh, that's my part of my work. Right. But um, so I think that that that's uh, it, it's the time for us to do that, because I think until we change the, 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 the gender dynamic, it just makes no sense. What's happening when you look on that side of, of the aisle and see that you have a party that is pretty much an all white male party. I mean, that's it. And so, but that's not what America is. And, and so we have to fight that and run, run. If you want to go to run, you should. All right. I have one quick <laughs> thing to say about that also is that it is really important to research the race, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes we do tell people, run, 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 but we're not looking at what uh, that race may look like or what the conditions are. And so researching mm-hmm. the race and making sure that, okay, because I just hate to say it. We're also in a place right now where symbolic victories don't mean a lot, right? Like we need some real wins. Mm -hmm. And so now a symbolic victory may be a real win if you if you research it. And and that's what it's going to take to make change. Right. But But, I would say if you get the support system around you, you're going to get all of that. That's my point. So if you're if you want to run, you don't want to just run out here by yourself. You want to make sure that you got the network. You got the Joannas. You got <laughs> yeah, the folks absolutely. to help you with that. Don't do it by yourself. I'm right. 100%. But if you have that ability to have those resources with you, then that will help you so that you're not out there right. running and, and it doesn't connect. That's what I want to make sure. My, my clear, point, clear I think, is to the, the – to the numbers game that that mm-hmm. that, that races are, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have not done any work, for instance, if we want to flip a seat and we haven't done enough work to it to increase the amount of voters that would actually support a race for you, right? Maybe the first step is get out on the ground, increase the voter share so that. that that person can be successful when they run, right? So I am not in any way um, saying that 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 there are not moments where we can push past that. But I do know that a lot of times we're working against uh, walls that we don't have to if we had done a little bit more of the research on the front end Mm -hmm. and be strategic about which races we get in or how we buffer ourselves when we get ready to run. Yeah, (laughs) right, going to those campaign campaign schools. schools schools So that help you figure that out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because, honey, these people crazy. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hey. Hey.
Uh, my name is Kareem. I am a second year master's in public policy student, and thank you all so much for being here uh, and for really inspiring us for, for inspiring us to change the landscape of politics and, and to realize and recognize that what y'all are doing is something that we need to carry forward. Um, I wanted to lift up something that Dewana had mentioned earlier. She said that black women vote for their community. Uh, and, and then soon after that, um, as you continue to mention this idea that they're empowered because they know what their vote means and that their vote matters. Uh, I wanted to bring that in conversation with, with something that Melanie, that you had mentioned of, okay, now that folks know that their vote matters and what it means, what about their dollars and that their dollars matter and what their dollars mean? Because at the end of the day, it comes down to there's an underinvestment uh, and an under-resourcing of campaigns and ideas like you all's that can really change the electoral landscape. So how do we bring this idea of empowerment in conversation with the idea of, of resource mobilization and bringing out new donors and new dollars to fundamentally change the way we organize communities of color? Well, hi. <laughs> That's an ever-evolving I, I get my sister here because we've been we go way back. That's that's my sister. Uh, I remember what happened with you, and what happened with you, and when that, from various angles, right? Owning and say we're gonna do you know do it ourselves, or we're gonna push people to do the right thing. So it's a combination of going after resources within our own communities to fund our politics. Uh, the late Dr. Ron Walters was one of my mentors. For those who, uh, if you don't know that name, mm -hmm. Google him. Right, and 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 uh, and uh, he was a uh, uh, um, powerful, powerful, powerful um, thought leader, activist, mm -hmm. right? Um, but he would always say, "He who funds your politics controls your politics," and so there's also the idea of moving it forward, is especially for communities of color and black folks being able to fund our politics. Because you, you break it down about the history of this country, part of the, uh, get myself in trouble, was I have to keep raising money, right? But truly, part of that is part of the problem. Part the of that is part of, of the it. oppression, mm -hmm. right? Of uh, yeah. other folks anointing you as, as, as valid or not valid right. um, uh, you know, types of ways of some funding streams that, that tend to pick winners and losers right. in communities. And so part of what I've, you know, why I've been able to sustain it is I've been able to shift it. And it's always a struggle. I don't have all the answers, but I know that if we, if we that idea that Dr. Walters talked about is funding our own politics is real. Uh, in the Obama, at least the first term, I can't speak so much for the second term, black folks wrote checks. Yes. That, you know, wrote checks, right? Yes. Uh, get, believed in it that way. So it's not that we can't. It's just how do we how do we capture that as a sustained ability when the wealth um, is not there in our communities because the history of the country is why we don't have the wealth, right? So being able to try to figure that out uh, in a way is always a consistent thing. And I don't and that that would and I don't know that's, that's I don't have all those answers and I don't, but I know that that's what I've seen it work better is when we're able to combine that and then push on those who need us. Uh, to be able to understand and respect it by investing, because you know I'm not trying to get a job at the White House. You are. Oh my. I'm not trying to, you know. So, so I have to tell some of my friends, look, I'm not trying to get a job at the White House. You want one? Okay, then you need to fund some of this so that you can win and get to the White House if that's the job you want. And so that's part of, you know, for some of us who, you know, 
and sometimes that puts you in a bad space, but that's yeah, okay do. because you got to be keep real about um, not allowing someone to make you feel less than what you what you're doing is valid. Yeah. Kristen, yeah, I yeah some there is um, and this may not even really answer your question about funding seriously because mm-hmm. I think so much of it becomes entangled about capital and money mm-hmm. and who can we run and all those kinds of things. When again, I don't. We, we don't bring into conversation, again, the people who aren't voting, the people who, you know, don't feel like there's an investment in them, regardless of who's in the White House, That's regardless true. of who's in office, regardless of who's, who's running. They still won't have water tomorrow. Right. They still won't have food tomorrow. They'll still get stopped by the police when they walk down the street tomorrow. So, you know, it's, it's really difficult for me to have conversations. I often say that, you know, the system isn't broken, but it needs to be. Um, when we talk about political duopoly versus Democrats versus you know Republicans, if we continue in this, people say they want basic human rights, right? People say they want everyone to have access to health care, everyone to have access to clean water, everyone to have access to quality schools, everyone to have all these things. But then it becomes this approach of, well, let's wait a little bit. Let's not let, you know, perfect be the enemy of the good. Let's be pragmatic. And it's always the people, the least of these who have the least, who never get their issues addressed. So we can have all these conversations about funding and who gets in office and who can get stuff done. It matters what you get done. That's right. It matters. So when we say, okay, well, you got to do this because, you know, we can't get this done. Nobody wants it. Everybody claims they want it. Right. Everyone says they want people to have basic human rights. Everyone claims they, they don't want police killing our children walking down the street. Everyone claims they don't want black women to be fearful of dying just In because power. they're giving yeah. a, a, having a baby. It happened to me. I'm sure other people who've been pregnant who almost died, who did not know and then was told after that, mm-hmm. oh, you're okay, so Medicaid is over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hope you make it past the postpartum period. That's real. So, you know, a lot they come from this political adverti- uh, advocacy, mm-hmm. political campaigning, those kind of things. I'm, in addition to being a journalist, a black mama, yeah. a black woman, like so many people in this, in this space, and yeah. it, it matters that we get beyond... How are we funding the campaign? Who's in the room? Who's not in the room? Right. Who do we need to go to? So that's that's really my concern in those conversations. Yeah, my response to that would be, and probably all of us know this, when I get a dollar for the work that I do, mm-hmm. I look at that dollar, I'm telling you, I look at that dollar like a, a hundred pennies, right? Because mm-hmm. I got to think about, okay, Yes, we're trying to get this person elected, but this person light bill may not be on tomorrow. So we need to deal with that real issue, right? That real issue. And so when mm-hmm. I when I said that the comment of when black people black women vote, they vote for community. That's not just about voting. That's just mm-hmm. how we operate. When we when mm-hmm. we get a dollar, we think about how much can I do with this dollar for myself, for my family, for for my church, for my school, mm-hmm. and my alumni. You know, whatever it is, right? And mm-hmm. so. The economics of it mm-hmm. for me and the way we have been sort of trying to do just do our work differently is that when we get resources, we're very upfront with our funders that when we get this money, part of this is going to go to 
this kind of activism. And part of this is going to go to long-term strategy. And part of this is going to go into stipends for young black students. And part of this is going to go because we can't use every single dollar that we have just to elect your candidate. That we don't exist just to elect you, right? Right. We exist, my organization, her organization, Mm -hmm. her organization, Mm -hmm. the work you do, our work exists for the ultimate liberation of black people. Right. Our ultimate, you know, so when we think about that, it can't everything be about electing somebody, right? right? It can't all just be about that. And so when I look at what will people, what motivates people who mm-hmm. are not currently in the room mm-hmm. is when I'm at their door when it's not election day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When something is happening, when it's not going to benefit the, the, the powers that be, but it's really actually supporting um, the everyday issues that we see. And I, I tell people all the time, because I got my start in... Um, municipal government, so super, super local level government, I had to answer the phone when trash went picked up, right. when, you know, um, nasty water was running, you know, up, up into people's toilets because of blockages that the city didn't have the resources mm-hmm. to fix in certain communities, but other communities never had that problem. So I understand that it's more than just when you getting you elected. It's Who's working for you that knows how to navigate and organize that whole building to get resources for the communities that don't normally get the money, right? It's it's all of those pieces. So if we um when we talk about the money and 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 we have to have the courage to push back, like they say, on these donors and say, on these people. And I and I'll be honest, I've I've had some success with that, but I've also you know. People have said, well, we, we, we'll come back to you when we're ready for that. You know, they're not ready. And that's okay because I want to be able to stand up the kind of work that says when I get this resource, it's not just for electing somebody. It is for the whole, the whole community that I'm serving and the resources that we need for that community. Right. So to the question, what do black women voters want? Everything. Yeah. And <laughs> to the phenomenal women who have honored us with their presence today, who've also questioned us, who've loved us, who've encouraged us, and who are continuing to usefully provoke us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to AshCast, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovations podcast. If you'd like to learn more, please visit ash.harvard.edu or follow the Ash Center on social media at Harvard Ash.